If you want a phrase to drop at a dinner party to sound really hip and in the know, try this one, the Internet of Things. Here's what it means. The IoT is a network of physical objects equipped with chips, sensors, and software that allow them to connect and exchange data with other devices using the Internet. One such device, the Oral-B IO Colgate-Palmolive, a small toothbrush that can communicate with your even smarter phone to assess your brushing skills. In between visits to your dentist, of course. Procter and Gamble have one, too. What's even more fascinating about these brushes is how they were made through a collaborative effort between the IT and R&D departments. The R&D staffers worked on the physical components while the IT group developed the app. Could the oral care company's mashup of R&D and IT serve as a model for others to streamline their innovation pipeline and make it easier to claim R&D credits? That's what we'll be exploring on today's episode of The Fiona Show, R&D Tax Credit. This conversation will be led by Cross-Border Solutions Director of R&D Tax Incentives, Rahim Walji. I'm going to hand things off to him right now. Take it away, Rahim. Thank you, Matt. Really appreciate the introduction. And I want to go ahead and pause for a second and welcome our guest today, Lydia Clowney. Lydia, welcome to the show. Thank you for joining us today. And why don't we get started by having you tell a little bit about your background? Sure. Uh, thanks for having me. And uh, yeah, I'm Lydia Clowney. I'm a CPA. I've worked in public accounting for, for some years, the last few years, working exclusively on research and development tax credit consulting before I joined Cross-Border Solutions to help uh, build out the, the R&D tax credit product. Fantastic. No, and it's been really great to have you and your expertise lended in that area to help us continue to develop such a great software product. So speaking of product development, right, let's let's talk a little bit about what Matthew introed us with. So why does it make so much sense these days for R&D teams and IT teams to collaborate? Well, I think it's crucial, but it's also really natural. This is the way that development is going. You see this in just about every sphere of consumer goods and beyond, too, where we have hardware or products that are being integrated with a software component as well. So you have the physical object and then you have the intangible, the software, and you're incorporating those together. If you're doing that within the product, then it it, it really does follow that the two teams with those expertise need to be interacting fluidly as well. So certainly we've seen more pressure placed on companies' IT departments to align with R&D in order to push that kind of innovation forward. I agree. We're seeing so much interplay between technology and and human capital and how all of these things are connected together now using the internet, right? As Matthew mentioned earlier, the internet of things, this is really pushing, I don't want to say pushing the envelope, but it's really causing a result where teams have to rethink how they're working together, not from just a pure R&D tax credit standpoint, but from a product development standpoint, right? How do these two teams interact better to achieve a better product and a better timeline? With respect to this trend that you're alluding to here with R&D and IT teams collaborating, has the COVID pandemic, you know, you think had any influence on this particular trend? You know, I think that this has been going on for years, and I think the pandemic only spurred it on faster. We do have some evidence of this. There's a 2021 Gartner CIO agenda survey we found that said that 70% of the chief information officers in the consumer goods industry were reporting an increase in asking their departments to prioritize 
different products, specifically the, the high value, more strategic products. And, and a lot of that was adding digital experiences or, or augmentation to, to physical products. And, and, and some of that, I mean, it's great because we were all disconnected. And so if you can make maybe a picture frame that allows you to talk to the family member uh, whose picture is in it or, or something like that, I think that a lot of companies were seeing that as a really attractive way to keep connected throughout this ordeal. Very true, especially with the you know immediate transition that had to happen to remote workforces, right? With all the technology that needed to be developed, various virtual platforms and meeting rooms and, and chats and all the things that we're now getting very uh, highly taxed, if you will, from a user standpoint. There's a lot of, as you mentioned, high value strategic things that need to be done to address some of the, the gaps that were created by the pandemic. So when you look at, at these separate teams, what do they each bring to the table in these types of, of collaboration? Well, this is one of the, the most interesting parts because they do bring different things to the table. And I think that having that kind of almost a crossbreeding of their expertise, it means that you're seeing more, more fruitful development. So the IT team might come in with their software expertise, the software engineers, you know, the folks actually building the platforms and the applications. A lot of times they'll have data scientists or folks who have expertise in, in artificial intelligence or or maybe even specifically in the Internet of Things, who have ways of figuring out how to integrate that kind of the digital sphere, the, the virtual sphere with the physical world. And then on the other hand, you have the R&D department. A lot of times that'll be folks in engineering disciplines. They might actually also have data scientists, but working maybe in a different facet of, of data. You also get your industrial designers, your product developers, folks who are planning and building those first basic models of the product. So a lot of times those two teams are going to do the initial research together. You know, you can't go down the road of building the software before knowing what the hardware looks like. But on the same side, you flip of the coin, you can't build the hardware without knowing what the software is going to look like. So those two teams really do need to align in order to come up with those design requirements, the design specifications, in order to be able to build a prototype that's actually going in the direction that the company wants to go. Right. Without that initial collaboration piece, you're sort of doomed to not necessarily know what the other hand's doing, right? And you need them both to work together to achieve the product, tangible product side of things as well as the you know, software side of the world, right? the virtual side of things. Exactly. What do they say? They say, fail to plan, plan to fail. Exactly, exactly. Hi, I'm Matthew DeMello, and you may know me as the host of the Fiona Show Cross-Border Solutions Weekly Transfer Pricing Podcast. And while I love to discuss transfer pricing, this podcast isn't the only place you can hear me doing it. Cross-Border Solutions recently relaunched Transfer Pricing University, a live webinar series where you can learn about modern-day transfer pricing, everything from methodologies to comparables to preparing documentation to meet country-specific regulations. Good stuff, I know. Chief Economist Mimi Song leads the sessions. I just ask the occasional obvious question. Since our program is NASBA certified, you can earn one CPE credit for joining each session. Pretty sweet. So what are you waiting for? Join us for Transfer Pricing University Weekly. Classes are free, so now you really have no reason to miss it. Sign up at xbs.ai slash tpu. So they each bring different skill sets, right? They may have similar roles and experiences, you know, depending on the type of R&D being done or the type of IT services needed. 
What are some of the challenges that these teams face during this type of collaboration? Anytime you have two different teams that have kind of developed or been built in separate spheres or separate silos, you're going to come up against cultural differences. You know, there are different duties. Uh, the ways they think through problems might be different. Even something as simple as just the language that the two teams use or the, the jargon that they employ might be totally different. And so coming to a place where those two teams can understand each other and communicate really effectively in order to collaborate, that can be a challenge. So they have discrete responsibilities. You're going to have a challenge in, in bridging that kind of gap. There are you know, different techniques that different companies employ. Uh, a lot of times managers will, will look to what we call an agile strategy. That comes from the software world and entails breaking down a larger task into smaller chunks. Um, and that allows for a little bit more flexibility and maneuverability. It uh, allows for teams to pivot when new information comes through. And so a lot of teams have found that to be a, an easier way to collaborate. There are definitely challenges. I, I agree, you know, in working with different companies where you have pure R&D departments versus your traditional information technology departments, they're the ones, you know, the IT team is not necessarily looking for new development. They're always looking to run things efficiently, right, and have less downtime and things like that. But R&D is always trying to push the envelope, right, and change the, the way things are thought about. And so at times you have a department who's trying to change the status quo, whereas you have another department that's sort of trying to maintain the status quo and you know everything from basic connectivity within the office to other services that are needed for operations, right? Oh, I think that's so true. The tension between progress and stability, I think, is kind of evergreen. And, and, and honestly, I think it depends on the company because depending on the company we're looking at, or, or sometimes depending on the industry, you'll see a difference between which of those two departments is the more traditional or conservative and which is more progressive or, or forward thinking. In some companies, it's the R&D department that's maybe hesitating to adopt maybe new technologies. Maybe they're not coming from the software world. And, and if they don't understand it, maybe it's hard for them to see how adopting some of these progressive technologies or employing something like Internet of Things would be beneficial. Someone coming from a traditional engineering background might be, it might be harder for them to see the benefits going down that path. And then in other companies, it's like you say, the IT department is the one that is really focusing on that stability, keeping things up and running. Potentially, if you have a company that hasn't worked in software before, their IT department might be composed of people whose, you know, their main job is just supporting the other workers at the, at the company. You know, maybe sure, they're like not service desk, help desk type work, things like that. Yeah, exactly. Or just, you know, keeping the servers running, network administration, database administration, things that aren't necessarily building new things at the company. And so for those kinds of very traditional IT departments to then be asked to partner with the R&D department can be a real departure from what they're used to doing or how they're used to thinking through things. True. And, and you know, we're, we're having this conversation talking about companies like Oral-B, right, and some of these larger companies. And it's not always the case that you'll see with some smaller firms, right, where there are pure R&D or pure IT departments. A lot of times in these smaller organizations, everybody's wearing multiple hats, right? You have a startup firm. Yeah. Um, the owner is both the, the owner, the executive, the salesperson, sometimes the support staff, 
but you're still doing some sort of R&D, but it's not always so clear cut in terms of situations, right? But I think that's why we're talking about how this collaboration exists in larger organizations. It sort of takes place every single day if you're a smaller organization because everybody's got a different hat on, right? Yeah, and, and then the challenge there is just in teasing out which things are, you know, pushing development forward, you know, which parts of those folks' jobs are more on the maintenance side. Yeah, exactly. Note to multinational companies everywhere, if you think the coronavirus has affected your bottom line, take a look at how it's devastated the economies of governments around the world. And where do you think tax authorities will look to make up for all that lost revenue? That's right, your transfer pricing. You can't afford to be non-compliant, but then you probably can't afford to pay for an overpriced consultant who bills by the hour either. Oops, sorry, Big Four. We've got the answer. Cross-border solutions, AI-powered transfer pricing software keeps you in compliance by preparing accurate, hyper-localized reports that protect you from transfer pricing audits, penalties, and adjustments. And our technology is available for one flat fee, a fraction of what you'd pay a big-name consultant. Again, apologies, Big Four. Stay in compliance and on budget with cross-border solutions, AI-driven transfer pricing software. It's no wonder we're the global leader in AI-driven tax solutions. There we go again. I'm so sorry, Big. You know what? Wait, who am I kidding? Sign up for a free demo of cross-border solutions transfer pricing technology today at xbs.ai slash tp that's xbs.ai slash tp so let's tie all this to the tax credit component of this right and the implications that you know this this collaboration entails when we look at specific situations like this you know collaboration between it departments and r&d departments would this collaboration expand the potential qualifying activity that you could submit you know for r&d type claims Oh my gosh, yes. No, anytime you have more folks getting involved with the development of a company, the more you're going to see an expansion of, of the expenses going into that claim. Yes. Record keeping in this kind of situation is really important. Certainly it's easier where you have a, a department that's exclusively focused on development efforts, but uh, like you say, those smaller companies where people might be wearing more hats then that record keeping to see, you know, what portion of their time is spent in which area is really crucial. But you really do get to include every little bit. And I, you know, you say every little bit helps. It always makes sense to look at all of the employees at a company and not just the ones in particular departments, because you'd be surprised at the number of different employees or or the different uh, job titles or roles at a company that can get involved with that development and and really help push it forward in in crucial ways. Typically, the R&D department will have a lot of that crucial skill set that's needed, but they don't necessarily have the full picture of what's going on at a company. And so looking to other departments, how they're supporting is a really good idea to avoid leaving dollars on the table in your R&D credit claim. Now, again, we talked about record keeping. If you have that R&D bunched into a single place, then it gets easier, maybe a little bit more straightforward when it comes to the time to actually put together your credit calculation. But regardless of that, Looking to all the different departments at a company is always prudent. 
I want to take sort of a step back here and look at this, right? Because I think, and, and I think we've had discussions about this, and I'm sure you've had discussions even even prior to working with cross-border solutions, right? The biggest challenge that I think a lot of companies have is understanding how their business qualifies, right? Number one. Number two, having the right sort of documentation or mindset to track this information or keep tabs on what's taking place and be able to categorize it properly. And I think that if you hone in right there, that's where this collaborative mindset really comes into play, right? A lot of times companies are looking at this from a very retrospective standpoint. They're looking at this in December or in November and saying, oh, shoot, I, I qualify for R&D. I'd love to look at this. But, you know, these collaborative environments really yield better data, better information. And of course, from a, a work standpoint, yield better products, right? From a, from a development standpoint and a business standpoint. Yeah, no, I think that's that's certainly true. And that's definitely challenging when you're looking, like you say, retrospectively, we come up to the end of the year and, you know, maybe in a company that's not using a, a robust time tracking system or, or maybe they're using one, but it's not focused on, it's used for other reasons than for the R&D purpose or the R&D tax credit purpose, then maybe you don't have that data built up. And so you get to the end of the year and, and you're asking employees essentially to look back and, and come up with a guesstimate of, of their involvement. And certainly for people who aren't working in a traditional R&D role or R&D department, it can be tough to think of, well, what of my activities that I'm just doing in the normal course of my job, what of these activities should I say are related to research and development or not? Obviously, these people aren't experts in in R&D or in the tax code, so it can be difficult. And it, it does make it a little bit easier if you can point to that collaboration as kind of the key to when those activities might be more likely to qualify. So for instance, you have maybe those folks in the IT department who are working on both traditional and just keeping the servers up and running, but also maybe they're working to help inform some software for a new IoT product. If you can say, hey, IT folks, well, what was the part of your time where you were really working hand in hand with the the R&D department? And maybe that's a way of kind of focusing in on which of those activities do and don't qualify. Sure. And and I think, you know, this goes towards the topic we're discussing today, right? Redesigning the workforce to streamline R&D. What really helps and what I've seen, you know, in our experience, you know, we take a more software platform approach, right, rather than your traditional consulting model. But allowing these cross-departmental teams to be involved in the process and have input, I think you see how from a business standpoint, the R&D product ends up being more robust. But then to your point, when these companies look at claiming the R&D tax credit, you have more people involved, so you can claim more expenses. You have better retention of information because there's this collaborative atmosphere that exists within the, the business to where everyone's on the lookout for this type of work, right? And it becomes spot the R&D, right? Where is this happening? Where can we capture this? Where do we do this? As opposed to a sort of, hindsight is 2020, like, oh, let me now look for this, right? So I think that's one of the big messages that that I took away from this is, you know, a lot of what we're seeing in the workforce is really related to core R&D, right? So like how the business structure is set up and how the employee departments are set up. But I think there's something to take away for how you can then have a better R&D tax credit claim when you're doing these types of things. I think any company that's looking exclusively to an R&D department to pull expenses for their credit, I could say with almost 100% certainty that they're missing out on some dollars there. It's just, 
it's just implausible that other people at the company aren't getting involved in some crucial way to help push that development forward. Absolutely. So let's talk about a separate piece, right? So we're, we're talking a lot about the internal piece, but a lot of times R&D work gets contracted out, right, to external consultants as opposed to, to being done in-house. So are there any potential challenges that come with that versus the sort of integrated approach that we've talked about, you know, everybody under one roof doing it? What are your thoughts on, on that piece and how that might add some complexity or, or not? It's interesting, and I think that this really relates to what we're talking about today because I've seen this a lot in the software sphere, right? So if we have that that company that we were kind of, the hypothetical company we were talking about earlier that maybe has a traditional IT department that's only worked on, you know, helping folks with their laptops, and maybe they don't have the expertise to build out an app, for instance, if the company wants to pair an app with their existing product. So they might look to that third-party software developer to perform that task for them. And, you know, certainly we'd want to include that in our R&D credit if possible. You know, anytime we're spending large dollar values on that kind of consultancy in order to develop a product, I mean, if there's any way that we can include that, we'll want to do it. I think that a lot of times what we see is the same kinds of issues that can crop up from an internal perspective when you have those two different departments working together, but just even more so. So maybe that third-party software developer, maybe they might use totally different jargon, and it's tough for our internal folks to simply understand or have a meeting of the minds when we're discussing uh, goals or progress uh, with one another. And two, the software company might not have a full understanding of, you know, what our company really wants to make and develop and and the reasons for that. I think that defining the project at the outset is really crucial to having a, a successful collaboration there. At the same time, I mean, we've seen some really successful partnerships between some of these companies. A lot of times it's going to be more effective to hire a company whose expertise is performing this task rather than trying to build up one's own internal department to do the same thing. So certainly it's worth looking at both of those two different cases. And, you know, I think when we look at the R&D credit and sometimes R&D tax credit professionals can kind of forget about this because we have got our blinders on, but the company is going to do what's right for the company, you know, what makes business sense. And then the R&D credit stuff is going to come afterwards. So, you know, we don't tend to see companies making decisions based on the R&D credit. That's more of the icing on the cake. So what we would hope to do as R&D tax credit consultants is to flex with those companies and make sure that whatever situation they're bringing to the table, we're able to, to work with and understand and quantify in order to make sure that that credit that's being generated by those activities is not only accurate, but, but as good as it can be. No, great point. So we look at this big picture, right? So on the one hand, there's an overall necessity of departments, teams, you know, in this case, the, the sort of scenario we're talking about here is IT and, and sort of pure R&D departments to work together to produce products that their companies need them to produce in terms of innovation and driving forward. On the other hand, there seems to be a bonus, right? The more people that get involved in the R&D process, whether from a supervisory standpoint or a direct participation standpoint, or even a support standpoint, you can add more expenses and activities to the credit claim. So at the end, it does depend on specific activities, but seems to be a good possibility here by encouraging this type of 
redesign of the workspace and the workforce to collaborate together. Yeah, I think that's right. And I, I do think that we just naturally see more and more companies moving in this direction simply because it has to happen. I mean, it's had to happen during pandemic. And I think that even post-pandemic, we're going to see some lasting changes from that where the connectivity does matter and the collaboration does matter and that we're moving away from the siloed approach that I think more companies had in in the last century towards something of a, a more horizontal approach where we're not splitting out our different departments to work separately from one another, but instead assuming and demanding that they work in concert with one another. And again, to your point, the more that that happens, the more you'll see that we can bring in those other departments into the tax credit since they are involved at at early and middle stages and and are, are crucially helping push the development forward. So you mentioned other companies are looking at this and likely going to adopt some sort of lessons from this scenario here. What are some other opportunities in other departments that you've seen, you know, maybe get involved when we're looking at R&D tax credits and that could be structured in a better way to collaborate on R&D as a whole within the company. Any thoughts on those departments? I think anytime you're not looking at every department, you're probably missing out. And sure, at, at, a, at a given company, not every department is going to be involved. But there's always right, like your HR, or your finance, right? Those types of are not always not that they're not doing some sort of creative or innovative or advancements to get better, but maybe not necessarily it doesn't fall into the R&D world, right? So Oh my gosh, yes. It's so much less likely for someone in accounting or in HR and legal to be involved in a way that we can include in the credit. But at the same time, it happens. I remember working for a company that makes ice cream and their whole back office, all their HR people, all their accounting people, that was their taste testing group. Good point. (laughs) Yeah, Every time they came out with a new product, the accountants would be sitting at the table doing this actually fairly scientific taste testing that did feed the credit. So if we had assumed that those people weren't involved, maybe it's a small proportion of their time, you know, largely their tasks or something else. But at the same time, those people were still doing the testing for that new product development. And that's absolutely R&D. No, great point. Great point, right? Outside of their traditional role, they were getting involved in a different capacity, just like we were talking about small businesses. Everyone wears multiple hats. Great example. Yeah, and, and there are more common examples than, than something like that. I think, you know, that's probably an outlier, but it's routine for, for people in other departments to get involved. If you think about a quality department, maybe they have to write a test plan or script for a new product or a new process. And and that probably takes some experimentation and testing in order to get it right. If you have folks in production, they're probably the best place to understand the current process or to understand what bottlenecks could be associated with doing a development of a new product in, in one way or another. Even things like sales or marketing or customer support. Traditionally, they're, they're really focused elsewhere than development, but sometimes they are the eyes and ears and voice of the customer. And if they're helping determine design requirements, design specifications, or inform the the research and development team as to pitfalls that could occur if the development proceeds the way R&D is envisioning. Well, you know, I think those are really natural ways for, again, maybe a small proportion of those people's time, every little bit helps. And why would you leave those dollars on the table and just ignore those departments? No, really good examples. I was thinking the same thing, technical sales, even maintenance, right? You have uh, production facilities, manufacturing facilities 
the maintenance team is sometimes the ones that are identifying why is a machine down all the time? How can we upgrade the equipment? How do we enhance the production, you know, speed, the production efficiency, the output, all those types of things. So no, great, great examples. Love the maintenance example because I think that one is so easy to overlook. And sometimes you'll have people, their title is maintenance, and they might have completely stripped a machine to its bolts and built it back up to do the same thing in reverse, you know, just because they needed that piece of equipment to, to fit in a different part of their shop floor. And, you know, you might have the director of a company not even know that that happened. And so the more people you can get involved and, and really know the nuts and bolts of what's going on on the floor, I think the, the more you can expand. Sure. So I think the takeaway for me is not just collaboration, but, you know, empowering the teams to, to look out for these types of things and speak up when they are maybe doing something because it's better to evaluate it and say, okay, you know what, maybe this doesn't meet the requirements, but it's always good to have more of those examples being brought into the spotlight at a company so that it can have the chance to be evaluated. Right. So no, great points. You're doing it anyway. You might as well get credit. Absolutely. So it seems, you know, the collaboration piece, the redesigning, the streamlining is going to be something that's here to stay. And hopefully some uh, firms out there can take advantage of restructuring how their departments work together and not only yield a better product at their business level, but hopefully some better claims of R&D credits as well. A global pandemic, a grim economic forecast, feeling the squeeze, an R&D tax credit can help lower your burn. If you qualify, the IRS and some state governments will give you a tax credit equal to 10% of your company's spend on development activities. You can even take the credit against payroll taxes if you're in the red. All you have to do is claim it. So what's stopping you? If an expensive application process is turning you off, sorry, now you really have no excuse. Cross-Border Solutions AI-driven R&D tax credit software eliminates the need for pricey consultants and allows you to apply for R&D credits all over the world for one low fee. After all, why should you have to spend your whole R&D tax credit on getting your R&D tax credit? It's your money. Keep more of it with Cross-Border Solutions, the global leader in AI-driven tax solutions. Request a demo today. Visit xbs.ai slash rd. That's xbs.ai slash rd. Welcome back, everyone. We'd like to thank Rahim and Lydia and everyone at home for joining us. Don't forget to check out the entire suite of Cross-Border Solutions Tax Podcasts on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. This podcast was hosted by Matthew DeMello and produced by Andrew O'Donnell. Stephen Markow is our associate producer and writes our scripts. We'll catch everyone next time. Bye.